Turn with me in your Bibles, your New Testament, into the book of Galatians, chapter 3. I want to go forward a few more verses in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Galatians tonight before we partake of communion together. So Galatians chapter 3, we'll be looking at those first five verses. Lord, tonight we gather and we celebrate the joy of salvation. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that you have redeemed our lives. We thank you that you have given us the certain hope of heaven with you forever. We thank you that you've forgiven all of our sins. We thank you that you have transformed us. We thank you that you've made us brand new people. And Lord, to think of the tremendous sacrifice that you made so that we could have all that. We love you and we praise you. May we never forget or take for granted what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've already told you several times in this study that Paul the Apostle was extremely angry bewildered, shocked, astonished when he wrote this letter. He was angry and frustrated with the churches in Galatia, the churches that he had planted on his first missionary journey. Frustrated and angry with them. And you see that anger and frustration in our text tonight. Look what Paul writes, Paul writing to the Galatians in verse 1 of chapter 3, says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Do you see and feel the frustration that Paul has here. Twice he calls the Galatians foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians. Verse 3, are you so foolish? The J.B. Phillips uh, translation of the New Testament puts it like this. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Surely you can't be so idiotic. Now, I personally think that's too strong of a translation. That sounds like he's insulting, condescending. Paul was not insulting or condescending. In fact, Jesus said something similar to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day of his resurrection. Jesus said to those guys, Oh, foolish ones. 
and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus doesn't insult. Paul doesn't insult either. Paul is just calling it the way he sees it. Christians in Galatia, you're behaving foolishly. You're not thinking rationally. You're not thinking logically. He's not saying that they were naturally stupid. He's saying that they were not using their mental power. They weren't using their brains. I'm kind of a far side guy, Gary Larson. And I've always loved this cartoon. Here's a young man who's been admitted into the school for the gifted. And he's doing everything he can to push open that front door when the sign says right in front of him, pull, right? Now, that guy isn't stupid. He's been admitted into the school for gifted. He's just not using his brain at the moment. He's acting foolishly. And that's what the Galatians were like in those churches. They had brains. They weren't using them. And let me tell you, Christianity is not a brainless exercise. It's not just this leap into the faith and you don't give any thought. As a Christian, you better think. You better not think foolishly. So Paul was frustrated with their foolish thinking. He also says something very serious there in verse 1. He asks the question, Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Now that's an occultic phrase. Paul's saying, who hypnotized you? Who put a spell over you? Who put you in a trance? In other words, Paul's saying, what's wrong with you? You're... Your thinking is cloudy, unbiblical. You're behaving as if somebody's cast a spell on you. You're living under a cloud of deception. How could you let that happen? Now, it's an interesting detail there. When when Paul asks that question, who has bewitched you? The who in that question is singular. Who singular bewitched you? Now, if you remember, the churches of Galatia were deceived by a group of false teachers and false prophets known as the Judaizers. And they came with this false religious system. Remember, they're the ones that came and told all those baby Christians, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians... That it's not enough to put your faith in Christ Jesus for salvation. You also need to come under the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the kosher diet and all of that. That is false teaching. That is a gospel that is contrary to the one that Paul preached. They were false teachers. But who was the one pulling the strings behind that? Who's the real influence behind false teaching? Satan. The devil. Satan is always behind falsehood 
and deception. Jesus said of the devil in John chapter 8, You are the father of lies. Please understand, the true monster behind any false teaching, any occult, any false religion, is the devil. Satan had deceived those Judaizers. They thought they were doing right, but they were deceived. And Satan was allowing those deceived false teachers to go into the church and deceive those baby Christians in Galatia. Paul's like, how could you let that happen? Those Christians in Galatia, they they did not have discernment. They were not thinking. They They were baby Christians. They were immature. They were not able to discern. You know that uh, you have to keep a close eye on little babies, right? Especially when they're mobile. Because little babies will put anything in their mouth, right? Money, gum, marbles, paper clips. The Christians in Galatia were like little spiritual babies who would put anything in their head. Had no discernment. Easily ripped off. And I will tell you that we have an enemy who wants to deceive us. And as Christians, we have got to be those who become mature, who become complete, who know what the truth is and stick to it. You have to grow up and be able to discern for yourself. Those Christians in Galatia had not become mature yet. Little spiritual babies. So Paul was frustrated, and there's two main reasons why Paul was frustrated with them that we see in our text tonight. First, Paul was frustrated with them because they knew the truth. They had known the truth. They knew the truth about the gospel of grace. Look at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Paul is telling them, you knew the truth. Jesus Christ crucified was portrayed clearly before you. Paul is saying, when I came on my first missionary journey and I visited your cities, I shared the gospel with you. And you clearly saw Jesus crucified, portrayed before your eyes. Now this clearly portrayed, it's, it's a Greek word that speaks of in ancient times when they would put up those public notices, those public announcements, the big posters, they'd put them up in every corner of the town square. Just this real clear message that everyone could see and understand perfectly. Paul is saying, I came to you and I billboarded for you. Jesus Christ crucified. I told you 
the gospel. I told you about Jesus crucified, and I made it as clear as you could put it on a sign. And Paul had given them the clear message of the gospel. He had said, Jesus is the son of God who left heaven, came to earth. He was crucified. And his crucifixion was his sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And he rose again the third day. And without Jesus Christ, we have no hope. Because we're all sinful. And if you want to be forgiven, then you must place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, your sins are washed away. You are forgiven. You are saved. You are justified. You are declared righteous. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation does not come through works. It does not come by being good enough or better than someone else. Salvation certainly does not come by the law. Paul said, that was so clear before you. You know the truth. And you receive the truth. They receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. And then these Judaizers come along and say, oh, no, no, you need, to, you need to be circumcised. You need to become Jewish. You need to become a part of this law. And they fell for it. And Paul is so frustrated. You knew the truth. You knew better. Stick to the truth. By the way, my brother and sister in Christ, when you know the truth, stick to the truth. Amen? If you know the truth of the gospel message, stick to it. Don't let anybody add to it. So he's frustrated because they already knew the gospel message. They knew better. He's also frustrated because they had experienced the supernatural birth Through faith in Jesus Christ. They'd experienced. Conversion. Through faith. In Christ Jesus. They experienced the new birth. They experienced becoming brand new inside. They received the spirit. In verse 2 he says this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit? They received the spirit. Verse 5, he says, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, implying that the spirit had been supplied to them, that they had seen miracles. So Paul again says, I came to your cities. I preached the gospel. You understood it clearly. You received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you experienced personally the spectacular new birth that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You received the Spirit. Now, in the book of Acts, a lot of times when the gospel was first preached in brand new places, not always, but in a lot of times when a lot of people came to Christ, they received the Spirit and there was a manifestation of the Spirit big time. They began speaking in tongues. They began prophesying. There were miracles and healings. 
It would appear that something like that had happened when Paul visited those cities. He came, he preached the message. By the way, the messenger of the gospel was always validated by signs and wonders. We know signs and wonders were done through Paul. They saw the miracles and then they gave their life to Jesus Christ. And their lives were completely changed miraculously. And they saw the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Radically born again. And so Paul asks the question. Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Were you keeping the law to such an awesome degree that the Holy Spirit was given to you as a great prize for your efforts? When you circumcised, when you got circumcised, when you started keeping the law, is that when the Holy Spirit was given to you? And the answer is absolutely not. The Spirit was given to them when they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Because you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is given to you as a free gift. It's a radical, supernatural conversion. So you follow the argument. Paul says you knew the truth and you experienced the genuine new birth. Why would you buy what these legalists are saying? That you have to go back and keep the law. What's wrong with you? Nothing transformed you in your life by law. Nothing saved you under the law. Now, remember that the Judaizers not only taught that you had to come into the law in order to be saved. It wasn't enough to put your faith in Christ, but you also had to become Jewish, essentially, and keep the Jewish law. Then you could be saved. They also taught that in order to live as a true believer in God, you had to live under the law of Moses. The real spiritual Christians would still keep the law of Moses. That would protect them from sin. That's what they taught. And of course, the Galatians bought into it. Okay. So Paul is addressing that in verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He's saying, wait a minute, think about this. Your Christian life began in the spirit. When you received the, the spirit. And, and how did they receive the spirit? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Your Christian life began in the Spirit. And now you're going to continue to live the Christian life in order to complete it in your own flesh, by your own human strength, under a law system. No, you're not. Paul would say your life, your Christian life began in the Spirit. And it is to continue in the spirit. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become born again. You're a new person. 
And you no longer live under works or law. You live by faith in Jesus Christ through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in your body. That's how you live. Gang, may we never lose sight of the supernatural quality of the Christian life and the incredible message of the gospel of grace. We fell into the garden. We fell the garden of Eden. We fell into sin. We blew it. We made a mess. We brought sin into the world. We brought death. God in his grace and love came up with a way to fix us and to save us. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And we come humbly before him and we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he saves us. He gives us his spirit. He transforms us. He gives us the power to live a much better life than anyone could live trying to keep a law. Never lose sight of that. That's what Jesus died for. God wants that for every person. God has always wanted that for people. It was never God's intention for us to stay in the Old Testament era. It was never God's intention for people to stay under the Old Testament law. The Old Testament, remember, the Holy Spirit didn't dwell in anyone. The Holy Spirit would come upon certain saints for a certain amount of time and then leave. In the New Testament, we have it so much better because when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you forever. The Lord never intended the Old Testament. So that would, some of you would have that question then, well, why was there an Old Testament? Why was there an Old Testament law? Why was there an Old Testament era? Great question. I'm going to answer that later. Because Paul will address those very questions in this wonderful book. And there are good answers to those questions. Just know tonight that everything about the Old Testament and the law was preparatory. The whole purpose of the law was to prove beyond a doubt that we can't keep a law. And the whole purpose of the law was to push us and point forward to this Savior that would come and die on the cross for our sins. God's intention throughout history is to have people who would be rightly related to him. Not just people under a law. In fact, the Old Testament predicts the New Testament arrangement. Jeremiah chapter 31. A promise from the Lord in the Old Testament. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. That was the Old Testament covenant. Keep the law. 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The new covenant promised in the Old Testament. God is going to do something that will give sinners brand new hearts. I will write my law on their hearts. I will forgive their sins. They will know me. Ezekiel the prophet says, For I will take you, this is a promise from the Lord, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Can you believe? That is a promise from the Old Testament. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you a brand new heart. That's what I want. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll keep my judgments. Not in your own strength, but by my spirit. Joel. A prophecy, a promise from the Old Testament. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on those days. It was always in the plan of God to change people from the inside out. To make it possible for them to be forgiven, completely transformed. That was always his plan. And I will tell you tonight that the new covenant is here and it's now in the church age. You are transformed. You are changed. You are forgiven. You receive the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. Jesus made all that possible. All that possible. So don't let anybody ever cause you to turn Christianity into a rule-keeping religion. Understand what Christ has done for you. Understand the arrangement that you live under. Don't believe every person, religious person you hear on the internet, on the YouTube channel. Don't believe every Christian book you read. Don't mindlessly believe some religious dude wearing a robe. 
There are a lot of deceivers under the influence of Satan who want to rob you of what you really are in Christ Jesus. Don't allow it. If you're a born-again Christian here tonight, you're a walking miracle. You have a relationship with God. And you're to walk by faith and independence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And your work, so to speak, as a Christian, the way you grow as a Christian, is to do everything you can to draw closer and closer to Christ. To do everything you can to know him better. That's why you read the Bible. That's why you pray. That's why you go to church. To, to, to know Christ more. To grow in your relationship with him. And to shine for him in the power of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant is here. Do you remember in John chapter 13 through 16, Jesus went into the upper room. This was the night that he was going to be arrested, right? He was spending some quality time with his 12 disciples, soon to be 11, Judas would leave. And they were partaking of the Passover feast, the Passover meal. Remember? Jesus did something very interesting on that night. He instituted this ordination that we call communion, the Lord's Supper. It says in Luke, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the what? It's the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus said, I'm about to establish the new covenant. The means by which mankind can be truly redeemed. And it's going to come at great cost. It'll come by the shedding of my blood and the breaking of my body. So here tonight, we are sitting at the Lord's table. And I'd like us really to celebrate the new covenant tonight. I want you to remember what you have in Jesus Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you sit at this table, remember the sacrifice. Remember the cost. In fact, communion is a way to uh, clearly portray Jesus crucified. The New Testament says that we keep communion to proclaim to preach the death of Christ. So the bread represents his broken body. The juice represents the shed blood. And in partaking of that, we're saying that by faith, we know that we need to take in Jesus in order to be saved. 
So I want you to remember what Christ did for you. And I want you to thank him for the new covenant. The best life available. Let's turn the lights down. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, I want to thank you for giving us the best life we could possibly want. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for empowering us. Maybe you're here tonight as a born-again Christian and the whole Christian walk has become real dry to you lately. You're frustrated in it. It's lost the joy. You've lost the power. Are you trying to live it in the power of the flesh? Paul would say to you tonight, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you trying to do it all on your own? That's foolishness. Your emphasis should not be, as a Christian, on what you do and the good works that you do. It should be in, on, on who you're depending upon and who you're growing closer to in faith. At this table tonight, ask the Lord to make it real again. That your relationship with him would blossom and grow. Now, maybe you're here tonight as a born-again Christian, and you are not living the Christian life. You have backslidden. You have gone astray. Have you forgotten what Christ has done for you and the type of life that he has made possible for you? Would you squander that away? No, at the communion table tonight, come back to him. Repent. Come back into a relationship with him. The communion table for all of us as Christians, whatever we may may be experiencing, this is the time where we're reminded 
of what Christ did and what he's made available to you. So take ownership of that. Thank him for it. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know if you've entered into that personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't know if you've had that miraculous new birth experience. You can't. God loves you so much. Died on the cross for you. Did all all that sacrifice for you. He loves you. He wants to forgive you of all your sins. He wants to change you. He wants to make you his own. He wants to give you his spirit and transform you and give you the hope of heaven. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you admit that you can't make it by your own good works? If you haven't, before we partake of communion, because this is an ordinance that born-again Christians are to take, it's, it's for the family of God. You need to make sure you're in the family of God. So I would invite you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for paying the price for me to save me, to fill me with your spirit, to transform my life. I place my faith and trust in you. Do that miracle in my heart right now. And help me to walk with you and live for you. Okay, so I'm going to ask those guys that are going to come help me distribute. Why don't you come on up?